Hi, I'm David Edelman, and welcome to On Consciousness. Roundtable episodes of the podcast On Consciousness with Bernard Bars were recorded and filmed in the dining room of the La Jolla house that was my father's home for more than 20 years. These explorations of consciousness are a special tribute to my dad, Nobel laureate Gerald Edelman, and his verdant imagination, immense creativity, prodigious output, and, of course, the many discussions about the scientific study of consciousness and biological science generally that we had within those four walls. Today, we're going to discuss some fundamental issues that confront the science of consciousness. To begin with, how do we define consciousness? What does that term even mean? How do we even start? There's a kind of a commonplace notion of what consciousness is. Nearly everyone sort of knows what we mean when we invoke this term, but when it comes to the actual hard-nosed scientific aspect, we really haven't arrived at any sort of consensus. At least as far as I know, there's no real consensus as to what we mean when we bring up the term consciousness. So today, I'm here with Jay Geed, and we're going to steel ourselves, roll up our sleeves, and together take a deep dive into the nature of consciousness. So Jay, why don't you sort of tell us a little bit about where you are in your research, where you are physically, and what you're actually doing today. Thanks, David, for letting me participate in this. And we all have different paths that we've taken to you know, come to this the study of consciousness. And, and, and my path has been looking at it from the development of the brain. Child, adolescent, and geriatric psychiatrist um, by training. I'm, I'm chief of child and adolescent psychiatry here at, at UC San Diego and mm -hmm. Fukui University in Japan in robotics and at Johns Hopkins in reproductive medicine. But what sort of ties together my interest has been the brain and how it changes throughout life, what sort of things influence in good ways and in bad ways, and looking at the brain in health and illness. Yeah. And what permeates all, all of these interests is consciousness, which is one of the, uh, in some ways, the most basic and simple notion, and also one of the most difficult to, to grasp. Exactly. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot, because I'll, I'll probably do that later. But I do want to ask you about your intuition about consciousness, your intuition as a scientist, and particularly as a scientist who's studying the process of development. What does that term mean to you? What does it invoke in you? when I say consciousness? I think at some point from conception and when the cells start dividing and some of those start becoming brain cells and the brain grows from a few cells to, to 100 billion. Right. Like at some point along that, that path, we have not conscious and then conscious. Right. And it seems like it might not be that difficult to, uh, you know, to see. And I, and after you know, 30 years of doing this, I, I still don't have a lot of confidence in identifying what that would actually mean. Right. Um, but my, my basic quest is I want to try to understand it from a neuroanatomy and um, neurofunction kind of standpoint. What would consciousness look like in a brain scanner and other types of imaging? What are we looking for in a sense? And could I predict? from basically the architecture and anatomy, this could be conscious and this would not be able to be conscious. So that's really interesting because from a perspective that isn't um, developmental, from a sort of a normal sort of snapshot perspective, we think of consciousness in a particular way. And in fact, Bernie would suggest the difference that makes a difference. 
and I talk about it as the special sauce, right? Because mm -hmm. we know we know a fair amount about higher brain function. We know certainly a lot about um, memory, particularly the memory in, in humans, but really to a greater and greater degree, the notion of memory in different animals with relatively complex nervous systems, even animals with very simple nervous systems, mm -hmm. which, which also speaks to your notion mm -hmm. of, well, when do we cross that Rubicon from non-conscious processing to conscious processing? And one of the aspects that Bernie and, in fact, my late father delved into was uh, certain brain states, certain certain behavioral states, actually, that have underlying brain states that are indicative, perhaps, of a difference that makes a difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one example might be uh, the contrast between um, waking states and, uh, say, a dreamless deep sleep. And the fact that we can mm -hmm. observe through brain imaging through a variety of techniques, we can observe a real difference in function there. You know, when you look at a, a typical human um, who's in a, a normal waking state, you see a, a sort of a pattern of brain activity playing across the cortex, a lot of the cortex involved. Yes. Yeah. But when that human or even a non-human animal, certain uh, mammals uh, have been studied to the extent that we can say, well, they're doing something very similar. The brains are doing something very similar mm -hmm. from waking to sleep. But when a human or a non-human animal descends into deep sleep, we see dramatically different kind of uh, pattern of brain activity in, in that human brain or yeah. that animal brain. And so we might see uh, slow waves. We might see very regular delta waves at, at a certain point during deep sleep, which are characteristically not what you see during the normal waking state. So we can define a difference that way. Mm -hmm. But as you kind of intimated before, when we look at development, it's a, it's a different kind of a kettle of fish. Yeah. But yeah. it may inform actually what you might want to look for if you're looking for the transition during development from you know, say uh, a very young infant. And so, and, and of course this is debatable. Some people think, well, consciousness is, is there all along. And I think you mentioned to me the other day that if you look at, you know, sort of fetal behavior in the womb, yeah, there's yeah. some glimmering of something that maybe looks like volitional action. Yeah, it really sort of sums up my expertise in this area in the sense that for me, uh, it's, I can only ask the questions at this point. Right. I, for me, consciousness is more about questions than answers, uh, even right. after 30 years of, uh, of trying. But it does raise, uh, the memory aspect is actually a really good place to start. To what extent do babies in the womb have a memory? And even after, in terms of at some point, it takes about eight months before they can kind of remember that mom exists, even when she's not there. Right. So stranger anxiety and stuff. But that's kind of old, you know, in terms yeah. of, and my, Sort of intuition is like, wow, babies are at least in some version conscious, you know, before eight months. Right. Um, it kind of comes back to this difficulty of how do we precisely define. But I think it is an interesting aspect to what extent do you need to have memories to have a sense of your place in the world? It seems like there's some essential minimum that I, I can't get around that you would need to have some memory in order to be conscious, to say, I am me and you are you. And, and to what extent is it a, um, a small component of consciousness, to what extent is it the essence you yes. know, of? And can you, um, you know, have a, a severe amnesia, for instance, and still be conscious? Yes, I mean, right. I think you're still, right. uh, still say conscious. And sleep as well is another, you know, 
great kind of lead in in terms of Absolutely. we become unconscious every day, most days, right? In terms of we go to sleep at night, that's you know right. pretty striking. And and so I've looked, I've looked at sleep actually across you know different species, and yeah. it, it's remarkable that like life on Earth sleeps. Even archaea, these organisms that never see sunlight, the thousands of generations, they live off of. Uh, thermal vent energy, other, right. and they have also the kind of this roughly 24-hour cycle of, of metabolism. It yeah. baffles me, you know, because yeah. you could think, like, as an animal, that'd be great if you didn't sleep, either as a, either right. as a predator or as a prey. Right. It opens or, up a new vista, you know, sort of eight, no, eight to, so 18 hours of your life. Yeah, but no, nothing's you. pulled it off, you know, right. in terms of, like, um, even though it seems to be an obvious competitive advantage, so to speak. And even dolphins, right, Tepla, which yeah, you've sure. you know studied more extensively, fascinating, right? They sure they they can't you know go to sleep completely because they need to they come back to get air. sleep. And they have to bear the time, right? Yeah. That's that's so cool. That's, that's like, amazing. And you can even tell, right? They circle and that you know. Yeah. But but even like, they would have such a great. Um, reason not to you know need to sleep, but even they find a way to get sleep. That's right, and, but and sleep is a particularly interesting case. Again, going back to Bernie's notion that you want to look for the difference that makes a difference, and the the elegant aspect of sleep, to me at least, is the fact that it's variegated, it's multifaceted, it's not simply one thing. Of course, when we talk about yes, sleep, yes, yeah. at least when it comes yeah. to human beings yeah. and non-human mammals, as might be the we, case for consciousness, right? <laughs> but but it's really interesting because it offers a lot of a lot of opportunities for study. And one thing in particular appeals to me is the idea that. There is one form of sweet sleep that a lot of consciousness researchers, I think, agree is a kind of a different flavor of consciousness. It is a form of consciousness, but the difference is it's not the brain interacting with the greater great big outside world. It's the brain sort of talking to itself. It's more or less cortex talking to itself. Ah, mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. another example. So now not only can we can we study the non-conscious phase of the brain, higher brain function, non-conscious states versus conscious states. We can also look for a different brand of consciousness that in fact, more or less walls off the internal you or the internal, the brain from most of the rest of the sensory world. The brain is sort mm -hmm. of feeding on itself. And so, and it is a, in a way, it's a, it's a wacky form of consciousness, right? In the sense that dreams can take these interesting yes. twists and turns. Yes. Yeah. But you're mostly not interacting so much with the outside world. There may be a little bit of stuff coming in in the way of sounds influencing you. But for the most part, it's the brain, it's the cortex kind of talking to itself. Yeah, so I think really it's absolutely critical, this, yeah. this, this, this concept. And right. so I started out as a Freudian you know, psychoanalyst, like a, many of my people of, of, that, of that generation. And that a lot was made of you know, the interpretation of the dream. So right. Freud's... It's often misquoted. He didn't say that it was the royal road to the unconscious. Right. He said no. the interpretation of the dream. Exactly. Which is a little yeah. bit like the, the stone soup story. Yeah. Whatever you kind of start with, they put on the table and you discuss, you know, other yeah. things emerge. And, and, and uh, as opposed to Carl Jung, who is more like, no, oh, that, you know, Things mean things. Flying means one thing in a dream. Ships mean sure. much more. You know, I don't think it's it's that way. Right. But we still don't have a really good idea of you know what dreams mean. And in terms of you can have mice uh, run mazes and always turn right, and yeah. have, have another run maze and always turn left, and you can tell while they're dreaming which is which. Yeah. Which is kind of neat in the sense that the, you're sort of unpacking what you learned that day. Uh, sleep looks to be very important for consolidating memories, mm -hmm. for to to study. It's good to sleep before the test to kind of have 
have the memories become more entrenched right. and to the point where it can actually be better to sleep sometimes than to rehearse and study more, which is a bit surprising. So I think Jay and I are on the same page as far as sleep versus waking states are concerned in the sense that they present a seminal opportunity to actually study the difference that makes a difference, to unpack the idea that something very different and unique is going on when you're awake and aware, in contrast to that period of time in which you're slumbering deeply and dreamlessly. So on that note, I'd like to thank Jay Geed for joining me in trying to unpack the complex and often tantalizing problem of consciousness. Our chat today was wide-ranging, illuminating, and truly fun. Much appreciated, Jay. In upcoming Roundtable episodes, Bernard Bars will join us. Bernie is the originator of global workspace theory, a preeminent theoretician working in the field today, and it must be said here, one of the founders of the modern science of consciousness. I'm neuroscientist David Edelman. Thank you for listening and for tuning into the podcast On Consciousness with Bernard Bars.